I guess what I hope to get out of this is forgiveness, an understanding of what it um, caused you, and for us to find a way to both heal from this experience. Welcome to What Happened to Mommy, a show about motherhood and incarceration. When two seemingly incompatible roles merge, incarcerated person and mother, we are left with a storm of complicated emotions, unavoidable disadvantages, and long-lasting trauma. My name is Anaya Washington, and I am the daughter of Stephanie Stoy. We are going to be facing this storm head-on in this podcast as my mom and I unpack the harms that have been done to our family before, during, and after her incarceration. We will consider what role the prison has played in magnifying the struggles my family faces in these episodes. But the prison is not all I am here to talk about. I'm here to talk about my mommy and the life she has led. I'm here to talk about what kind of world I was born into. I'm here to talk about how we can forgive each other and how we can better understand ourselves and our relationships through honest conversations. I'm here to talk about what damage has been done so that we can begin to heal. This space is a safe space that will not focus on the criminalization and dehumanization that happens to incarcerated people, but rather we will prioritize and give authority to the voices of these people, like me and my mom. I'm working under the assumption that you, as a listener, are part of the constantly growing movement of people that wish to bring an end to mass incarceration. I must also assume that you are aware of the damage that incarceration causes to communities and individuals, and that your participation in this conversation means that you want to understand more deeply what must change in our current system to undo and prevent further damage. I encourage listeners to be mindful as we may discuss things such as prison conditions, physical violence, emotional abuse, domestic violence, and sexual trauma. Before we get into this conversation, I think it's really important to acknowledge that mothers are being separated from their children due to incarceration at a rate that has been rapidly increasing for years. According to a report from the Sentencing Project, at the end of 2019, there were roughly 1.2 million women under the supervision of the United States criminal legal system. These women are mothers, daughters, and partners whose lives are subjected to surveillance and separation for years at a time. As more women have been sent away, more children have been left behind. In 2016, the Bureau of Justice Statistics reported that about 132,000 children had a mother in prison, which is just a fraction of the 1.2 million children that have a parent of any gender in prison. My family is just one of the millions that are represented in these statistics. I was only one year old when it happened to me. Just a few months before Christmas of 2000, 
my mommy found herself struggling to take care of her two young children. My brother and I drifted into her world like angels destined to save her. My brother William first in 1997, and me following two years later. I always wanted to be a mom. It was the only thing. I, I never had aspirations of graduating high school and going to college, and I never ever thought about the the, the turning 21 and going to clubs. Like my goal was always to be married and become a mom. That's that was my goal. I, you know, as kids, we all say, you know, oh, I want to be a vet or I want. Mine was I just wanted to be a mom. Before she could reach this goal, my mommy had to survive her own childhood. She observed her mother, my nanny, and her thirst for control. Without ever being told, she learned from my nanny that a mother's role was to clean, to cook, to provide for her husband, and to have children. My mommy's childhood was lackluster. Her parents and educators gave her very little motivation to make something great of herself. And in so many ways, I believe my mom has had to settle for the life she lives today. She recalls being emotionally neglected by my grandmother and relying on my grandfather for the love and support she was often denied. I always, I was always the, was always daddy's little girl. So the things that I, that, that I remember as a child are learning how to work on cars uh, learning how to race cars, learning how to steal cars, um, you know, anything to do with a car and, and, and speed and four wheelers. And those are the things that I learned in my childhood because my escape was to be with your pap because nanny didn't like me and she made that clear. And so it began. My mommy's childhood prepared her for a life of feeling unwanted and unloved. She longed for affection, or some kind of attention, but could never find it in her own home or with her own mother. What I only recently came to understand is that this relationship between mother and child is seen as the foundation on which most people's whole life is built on. Attachment to our mothers, as psychologists have claimed for years, sets the stage for all of the relationships we will build throughout our lifetime. I first came to this branch of psychology in my sophomore year of college. Working towards finishing the requirements for my Black Studies degree, I took an intensive research course and focused my studies on formerly incarcerated mothers and their children. I navigated existing research on attachment theory and mother identities in prisons, and I found myself incredibly disappointed. It seemed obvious to me that attachment was a critical thing to understand as we considered incarceration and separation. Yet none of what I was reading mentioned the details of the lives these women and children were living. I knew these stories would be central to me understanding how incarceration has affected relationship building. And I understood too, that these theoretical approaches were not saying enough about us. And that is why my mom's story will guide us through all of these conversations and questions. Because our lives are at the center of all of these theories whether or not they say so explicitly. And so we start here, in my mom's childhood, so that we can understand what her own early life attachments mean to the relationships she has with her children today. 
I want to lay some of the groundwork of these theories out in this episode because I think that they have given me so much knowledge about how to approach this project, and I believe that they will give you as a listener more insight into how complicated our traumas become when incarceration separates a mother from her children. Dr. Bessel van der Kolk is a psychiatrist, author, and researcher based in Boston, Massachusetts. I came across his book, The Body Keeps the Score, on my Twitter feed late one night, and I was drawn in by the fact that nearly 10,000 people were engaging with this one tweet, and as I read through the comments, they were also engaging with really complicated theories of trauma in a super public space. I was so intrigued. The book, as I learned, is crafted to invite general readers into the complex world of trauma research, and it has become very popular since its publication in 2015. His book felt like a pot of gold when I came across it. It had all of the research I was looking for surrounding attachment and trauma and healing. But once I reached the end, I realized he hadn't explicitly said much about incarceration and the traumas associated with it. Still, I knew that his work and his research into attachment could inform my understanding of my own relationship to my mom. And I think that his work is really important to use as well because he does it in a way that is fairly easy to understand. So I will be using my own project to expand on his book and apply it more fittingly to my own life. My goal is to ensure that his work is accessible to those of us that have experienced carceral trauma to those of us who are repeatedly left out of conversations. Dr. Vanderkolk claims that our first relationship with a primary caregiver teaches us what is safe and dangerous and teaches us self-regulation and self-care. Vanderkolk and his colleagues believe that these lessons are imprinted into our brains and they say that they remain stable throughout our lives, shaping the core sense of ourselves. If this first relationship is not good enough, Vanderkolk points out that we can become dissociated from our bodies, and we can find ourselves struggling into adulthood to build and maintain healthy relationships and coping methods. It is our caregiver's job to give us the tools to navigate through life, which can be overwhelming and sometimes damaging. The sad reality is that someone who was raised without these so-called tools will not be able to pass them down to their own children. So families, like my own, become trapped in cycles of neglect so easily. Without the right tools, my mom was left to her own devices when it came time to deal with traumatic loss and separation in her life. As I talk with my mom about her past, I see moments where I know she could have been better supported. I hear that there was a lack of emotional support and a lack of conversations about how to cope with the things she was feeling. Attachment theorists believe that these kind of conversations and interventions are central to forming secure and nurturing attachments with our caregivers. So I see that my mom and nanny were just detached from each other. Attunement involves physical and emotional connections that can give us feelings of being met and understood. It is about a parent's ability to respond to and be aware of the emotional needs of their children. Without this attunement to our caregivers in childhood, 
we may grow into adults that cannot attune to their own children or partners. And I've seen this repeatedly in my own life. I've witnessed my mom become debilitated by her anxiety and depression, overwhelmed with the emotions that she was never taught to handle. She would spend weeks in her bed, ignoring what me and my siblings may have needed from her. I've come to realize that this debilitation and misattunement have roots that dig deeply into a lot of the neglect she faced in her childhood. As a young person, looking for ways to feel something, anything, my mommy turned to stealing, lying, and cheating. These things became just as addictive as any drug, and she still struggles with them today. As she says, cars have always been something that brought my mom a sense of connection to her father. She used the only skills she felt that she had at the time to steal cars and so much more. It allowed her to feel seen, even though she deserved to be seen in so many other ways. At some point, her parents grew tired of picking up their daughter from the police station after this minor infraction or that minor infraction. Without understanding the harm they had inflicted on their own daughter, my grandparents gave up on her. She turned to find love and was caught spinning in circles, unsure of her ability to even be loved, until she found a heart to steal. And I met Desmond. <laughs> and Desmond was sweet and compassionate and caring and supportive and everything that I never had. Um, he would tell me every day that I could do anything if I tried <laughs> and that he would do whatever he could to make sure that my dreams came true. And, um, we were young. Desmond was younger than I, um, we were just kids. Desmond was one of my mom's first loves, and together they felt complete. Finally, after 18 years of longing, my mommy felt loved. But, as I've come to learn myself, love isn't always the answer to our problems. This new love meant her parents would reject her, that she would need to curl up on park benches at night to get a moment to sleep, that she would have to turn to selling drugs to make money. Neither her or Desmond had graduated high school, and there were not many people eager to hire two teenagers without diplomas. Nanny and Pap had made it quite clear that they wanted nothing to do with him um, because he was a, a thug, as they called him. So Desmond was trying really hard to get a job, but Desmond didn't graduate from high school. So he was trying to get a job. No one wanted to give him a job. So he started selling perfumes door to door. <laughs> Desmond and my mom stayed together through the storm, their love tethering them to the earth. It is a love story she's never shared with me before, perhaps out of shame, or perhaps to keep these memories locked away just for herself. My mom and Desmond were torn apart, and it is a pain I'm not sure she has ever healed from. 
I found out I was pregnant and nanny and pap, uh, sent me away. They pretty much told me that I was going to be moving to Washington state with your uncle Rob, or they were going to completely disown me and would not help me in any way, shape or form with giving birth to my child or being of any type of support. Off into the world she went, leaving behind Lancaster, Pennsylvania for Bremerton, Washington, leaving behind Desmond, sealing their love story with a letter, not telling him about the baby their love had created. There is so much going on in this story. There's so much love and so much pain And that same love and that same pain is what comes through when my mom tells me the story of her meeting my dad and giving birth to me. And so, rather than tell you the details of the story, I turned to writing a poem, and I'm really happy to be able to have my younger sister involved with reading this poem for me. So the voice you're about to hear is the voice of my younger sister, Cece. Are you my mother? I am my mother's daughter, even on the days she doesn't want me to be. I have her eyes, but I've made them mine, made them soft, made them dark. She made them bleed, and as the blood rolled down my cheeks, she scolded me. Mother, mother, here I am, mother. But are you my mother? Or are we just lying to ourselves again? How could you be mine if you were gone for all that time? She tells me I am her strength and doesn't realize that little girls can break, can be confused, can be misused. She brought me here, all punctured lung and skipping heart, into a world that always tears the two of us apart. How did she find me, I ask? She was running away from danger into safety, or was it safety? She was running, and maybe that's why I'm so fast. Her speed plastered onto my limbs the moment I was born. She fell into the arms of a man. He wasn't hers, but she made him. And then they made me. I, 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 I definitely held it to myself um, out of fear that if I told someone I had doubts or breaks in my mental stability that I would be letting more people down and I'd be living up to what my mom told me, that I was a failure. Um, And I went many years thinking that I was broken um, and terrified to tell anyone if I was upset. Um, And I definitely didn't like to show emotion um, other than anger, because when I was angry, I was in control. People were, people feared me. So I hid my, my depression and, and my pain with anger and violence. And when I, when I became a mother, it was finally my opportunity to be soft and to let that go and to cuddle somebody, um, just to have somebody hug me back to have that unconditional love that 
no one could take away from me. My eyes began to water as my mommy told me this over FaceTime. I was really feeling her pain, even though it was just through the phone. The phone has always been our place. When she was incarcerated, phone calls kept us connected. When I moved to Massachusetts for college, phone calls kept us connected. I looked at her through the screen. She was sitting on a brown wicker chair at the top of her driveway, the same spot she always sits in as she smokes her Newports. She looked back at me to see the sadness growing in my dark brown eyes. Then she lit a cigarette, inhaling and exhaling deeply as though she was breathing out the pain of the memory she had just shared. I listened to the space she was in, warm with chirping birds and active with trash trucks and barking dogs. I don't think my mommy has ever been able to find peace. I wish we had been what saved her, but we were much too young to carry her and the boulders she had attached to her ankles. Motherhood, as my mom describes it, requires closeness, physical touch, and fluid communication. Children often rely on their mothers to affirm that they deserve love and care. Sometimes, mothers rely on their children for this same thing. Disorganized attachment, as detailed by attachment researcher Carlene Lyons-Ruth, can lead mothers to appear helpless and fearful. These mothers are seemingly unable to be the adult in their relationship with their children. Some mothers, like my own, need their children to comfort them. But researchers believe that this is not always deliberate. Sometimes the trauma and emotional baggage women carry with them leaves them with no one but their young children to rely on. My existence has always met something so deep to my mommy. I've always been her strength. Since the day you were born, <laughs> you've had this way of making everything better for me. I'm supposed to be the mom, and I'm supposed to take care of you. But out of these four children that I have given birth to, you have always been my strength. Uh, you have overcome so many things. My incarceration, your father not being around until Olivia was born, being the child that always looked different from your brother and your other sister. Um, the way Nanny and Pappy treated you differently than all the other grandchildren. You have just faced things that were out of anyone's control and you've always overcome. And you've always given me strength to try and be better. I have let you down so many times. And 
no matter what, you're always there to pick me back up. And I'm supposed to be the one who picks you up. <laughs> but what is a child supposed to be to a mother? A lifeline? A best friend? A hero? I have grown into a sometimes aggressive and defensive and emotionally distant adult. Attachment theory would point to my mother's need for my comfort as the blame. I've never been able to deeply understand my mom's emotional states, and for a long time we've really misunderstood each other. I think this is because I never knew what I meant to her. I never knew that her reliance on me may very well be because she's never had anyone to rely on before. Today, and in this show, as I am recovering from the traumatic experiences my mom just mentioned, I'm looking for ways to forgive her for leaving these imprints on me. My racial identity, as my mom describes it, seems like it was just a matter of optics. My skin is darker than my siblings. But as I will continue to share with you all, my search for identity is much deeper and becomes much more complicated when race and racism comes into the picture. My nanny has imprinted on my mom the same trauma that she received from her mother. And when my nanny stepped in as my caregiver when my mom was sent to prison, she left marks on me as well. It is a cycle that my mommy and I never asked to be put in, but nevertheless we spin. We grow dizzy and confused, forget we are broken and try to walk on our injuries. We try to mend each other, but we can never hold each other close enough to stop the hurt. What we can do now though, is address these imprints and explore new ways to connect to each other and our other loved ones. My brother William and I came into the world screaming, like all babies do, demanding attention and care. My mom gave us everything she could, but she found herself in a lot of really difficult positions as a young mother. She left home, pregnant, for Washington State, where she met my father and became a Navy wife. They agreed that they would raise the baby and her belly together. The new couple traveled south to Corpus Christi, Texas, running from their past relationships and looking for a safe place to raise their children. William and I were both born just outside of the Navy base in Corpus Christi, perched just next to the Gulf, which never fared well when it rained. Our house had to sit on stilts to keep out the flood water and desert animals that often looked for shelter from the sweltering sun inside of our house. My mommy stayed home all day running a daycare for the other children with parents in the Navy. She danced around, beautifully, taking care of all of us. She treated us as if we were all siblings. But when she tells me stories about this time, I can tell that she was stretching herself thin. She was becoming the mother she herself had never had, loving us with her whole heart and attempting to foster secure attachments with her babies. But how can you securely attach when the ground you walk on is unsteady, when every step you take towards stability results in the earth crumbling beneath you? I was making my own money. Your dad was making money. Um, 
we didn't have, didn't have any worries financially. So that was very, very, very good. <laughs> that was probably one of the very few times in my life that I felt financially secure. Um, and then just like out of nowhere, uh, your dad dropped a bomb on me that he no longer wanted to be in the Navy. Um, and he wanted to move home and he wasn't going to reenlist and all that security and safety. And part of the reason why I married your dad in the first place was now going to be gone. It was the end of 1999 when my parents moved back to Pennsylvania, the site of so much hurt for my mom. As she spoke about this time in our life, I witnessed the light drain from her eyes. She began breathing more heavily, her words choking her. She couldn't figure out who to blame, and I think she blames herself a lot. She came home and returned to insecurity. She parted ways from my father and became a single mother at the ripe age of 23. I've always wondered how she did it, and as I have grown, I have asked her so many questions about Texas, a home I cannot remember myself. Distanced through a phone screen, I sat in my dorm room in Western Massachusetts, wishing I could be next to my mommy as we spoke. We had both come so far from that small Navy base, but those years were foundational for us. It is a time that weighs heavy on my mom when we talk about it, but since I can't remember it myself, I have to lean into her words to understand how I came into this world. Much in the same way, I lean into her words to understand how to navigate this world. Attachment theorists believe strongly in the importance of our connection to our mothers. Some even claim that our relationship to our mother or primary caregiver is a necessary biological process meant to ensure our survival. My brother and I attached first to our mom, but since we were separated from her within the first five years of our life, we were forced to shift our attachment to a new primary caregiver, my nanny. But even before this shift happened, William and I had been struggling with our connection to our mom because of the life she was living. It was a life filled with insecurity and unhealthy relationships. It is a life that she still lives today. Looking into the psychology of attachment has helped me to understand the generational implications of our relationships to our parents. But I think my life has been so much more complicated than attachment theory accounts for. William and I had two really important relationships to form in those years, but neither of those relationships would be labeled as secure in the eyes of attachment theorists. With the weight of poverty, domestic abuse, and depression pulling my mom down, she failed to always give us the care we needed. It is so much work to care for two babies on your own, especially when you are so young and unsupported. But as I have mentioned already, my mom would have been in a better position to care for us if she had been properly cared for herself in her childhood. My mom, in her lonely attempt to care for William and I, made choices that led to her incarceration. She connected with people that helped her with robbing gas stations around Lancaster, giving herself enough money to provide us with everything she thought we needed. 
your pap helped me get an apartment on Cherry Street over by the hospital in the city. And at that time, your pap had a shop connected to that apartment. Um, and in the city is the worst place for me. Um, it's the worst place for me. And it brought, it brought out the, the, the same old Stephanie that I was before I had used. And I was hiding all my pain and depression and anger with more anger. And, uh, I, I, I started doing all the dumb things again. I started getting in fights all the time. I was selling drugs. Um, I was doing whatever I could to make sure I was providing for you kids. Um, and I, I got hooked up with two guys that I knew were making money in illegal ways. And we started robbing Turkey Hills. My brother and I were just toddlers, observing our mommy and her dangerous actions. We were there every day, no matter what danger was facing my mom. And we saw her dragged away into the abyss of pain. William, born with a severe hearing loss, was seemingly emotionless when we faced these scary moments. He avoided feeling anything to ensure he didn't have to feel too much. He felt the distress in his body, likely with a racing heart and hyperarousal, but visibly he didn't seem bothered by mommy's actions, and that's why she says she just never remembers him crying. I, on the other hand, was always vocal about my discomfort with cries and screams. William and I had adapted to mommy's distance and behaviors, and this was so that we could maintain our relationship with her. Every interaction we have had with our mom has shaped parts of who we are today, even the ones that happened in our first few years of life. We are addressing these now so that we can talk about how to break any negative patterns of behavior that have arisen because of our early interactions. I think I rely so heavily on researchers like Vander Kolk and Ainsworth because I want them to tell me why I am the way I am. I see dependent patterns in my relationships that I know are unhealthy. I see myself become easily overwhelmed by emotions, and I feel, at times, that I may never gain control over my thoughts and feelings. But rather than blame myself and continue to believe that something must be wrong with me, I am looking for answers. I have learned, though, that all of this research is not what will give me all of the answers I'm looking for. A lot of those answers will be found in my conversations with my mom. And those conversations will have to happen repeatedly for the rest of my life. William and I grew up in a disorganized environment, stressed by economic and emotional instability. The violence that my mom chased in the streets of Lancaster City came home with her sometimes. If my mommy was being threatened, so were her children. She has told me a story a few times about a fight that took place in our front yard while William and I were asleep in our playpens. Three women came looking for her, and to announce their arrival, they threw bottles at our front window, shattering the glass all over my brother and I as we slept. On her own, my mommy handled the threat, 
and returned to make sure her babies were okay. But neither of us had words to tell her if we really were. I don't think my mommy was living a safe life. And I wonder sometimes if she ever really knew what safety felt like. If she never had, how could she offer it to her children? How did she find a way to protect us from physical and emotional harm if she never felt protection herself? We have survived, but at what cost? When my mommy tells me we were too young to understand the danger that was around us, I don't know that I believe her. Hush. Mama says hush now. If we keep quiet, nobody will hear the pain in our voices. If we keep our heads down, nobody will see the sadness in our eyes. But Mama isn't always right. Speak up, Mama. Tell them you are in pain. Look up, Mama. Show them you are not happy. But how could she? With knives in her back and boulders attached to her ankles, we were made to sink. Made to never make more than what we need. Made to never make enough for what we need. How do they even know what we need? Mama says that money doesn't grow on trees, and if I work hard enough, someday I might break out of these chains, break out of this society that has done more to hurt me than help me, break out of this cycle of broken bones, broken hearts, and broken dreams. Why do they even have the power to break me? Mama, I need you. Mama, your crown is slipping along with your sanity. Please hear me this time. Speak up, Mama. Tell them you've had enough. Hold your head high, Mama, and know that you are worthy. Worthy of a chance. Worthy of any opportunity to climb out of the tomb you were born into. That I was born into. It doesn't have to be this way. Mama isn't always right, but Mama is always loving. Always there with Chips Ahoy cookies and a glass of milk after school. Always singing along with our Rule on long car rides. Always believing that I will make it all better for us. But how could I? With those same knives dug even deeper into my back, and those goddamn boulders dragging me straight to the bottom of that same ocean Mama has been trying to swim out of for 43 years. Maybe Mama was right. Maybe my silence is okay. Maybe my head isn't meant to be in the clouds, and these dreams I have are just that. Dreams too far out of my reach. Too full of dark places and unfamiliar faces. Mama, 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 look at me. Tell me it's going to be okay. Tell me that my smile is what keeps you alive, keeps you dancing in the kitchen at 6 a.m. while you scramble eggs on the stove, keeps you wearing oversized Packer pajamas to the grocery store on Friday nights, keeps you sharing secrets on your bed until we fall asleep with moonlight crawling through the windows. Mama, I love you. Don't hush me, don't hush the little ones either. Let our voices be heard. Let our heads dance in the clouds and fill with dreams that will not just be dreams, but realities much brighter than yours ever could have been. Painted with yellows and oranges that make the boulders and the chains and the knives hurt much less.
there is no need for silence anymore. You taught me that, Mama. Now let me teach you, Mama. I don't think my mommy always knows when she's hurting us with her actions. I think that sometimes she becomes preoccupied with trying to cope with her own mental health problems and trauma. In these moments, she does not have the emotional capacity to offer consistent care and comfort and protection to her babies. What she needed then was someone to help her become attuned to our needs, to help her refocus her energy on what her babies needed, and she needed to have a legal way to provide us with what we needed. I'm teaching my mommy to forgive herself for having split her limited energy between us and herself. I'm teaching her that we all deserved help, that she is not the only person that has let us down. So many people could have stepped in to help our family. Now, just like our mommy, William and I struggle daily to find safety in our bodies. But we manage to get by through any means necessary even if those means aren't healthy for us. I have distanced myself from the painful feelings that grew in my belly as a child. I try really hard not to remember how hard it was to connect with and be seen by my mommy. I was an overly clingy, anxious, and hyperactive child who was easily upset. Today, I find myself desperately clinging to anyone who shows me affection. I question, almost constantly, if the people I love are going to leave me, and if they will ever come back if they do leave. I spent my primary years asking myself this same question. What happened to mommy? Was she ever coming back? I have lost myself, but through talk therapy, Lots of reading and writing, and supportive relationships, I've been able to find parts of myself. Parts that sometimes feel broken and unfixable. It has taken a long time for me to realize that none of the behavior problems or damaged social skills I have are my fault. I have felt that I needed to blame someone, but as each new year unfolds before me, I come closer to understanding that perhaps no one person or experience is to blame. The things that happen to us are kept in our bodies, shaping how we move through the world in discrete ways. So biologically and socially, my brother and I were always meant to sink, just like mommy. Through methods that we will explore in a later episode, I've begun the work of healing my damaged parts. I've been teaching myself that I deserve love, that my past does not define who I am, but that it may influence who I am. I'm discovering ways to overcome the disadvantages of my insecure attachment in childhood, but I'm still looking for help. Asking my mommy to tell me the stories you have heard today is me looking to her for help. We can help each other understand what has happened in our lives, and we can help each other move beyond any limits our past has placed on our present. We deserve to heal, and together, as a family, I believe we truly can.
This has been the first episode of What Happened to Mommy. Thank you for joining me and my family on this journey of understanding and healing. In our next episode, we will discuss what happened in the period after my mommy's arrest and what this initial moment of separation meant for my brother and I.